0: Oh yeah, and 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 for and, and for the girl backstage, and for that girl backstage,
1: make make it perfectly clear. Never mind who you thought I was.
0: I'm Rick James, bitch.
2: everybody here we are for another show me the Mooney, episode 68 uh it's friday september 17th 2021 uh i'm feeling all right shook how you doing
1: i was on twitter and i started seeing um all of this stuff about like Ric flair and tommy dreamer and um something about rick flair and like sexual harassment and sexual assault I'm, thinking of something new but then also in it i saw a plane ride from hell and it just like i, I like it, my mind um i just remembered i was like oh yeah like dark side of the ring like the original is back because you know we've been watching like all the different spin 90s football but now the actual dark side of the ring the rest of um this third season is out now so i was like all right i gotta watch this shit i'll save Uh, rick james for tomorrow which
0: was this morning and you know mike like you know when you do like a survey and it's like um how would you how do you feel about this and it's like strongly
1: like um like neutral dislike and strongly dislike so tommy dreamer for his like as far as the right before I watched the show, it it was pretty much neutral. I mean, like I appreciated um him in ECW but I hey, he wasn't like, you know, anybody I felt like strongly either way about. But last night would definitely um move me from neutral to strongly dislike. Um because they were they detailed a lot of like very, very bad shit that happened on that flight and a lot of things that happened in the episode and i saw my guy didn't want to do like a full-blown um segment on it because i don't think he's watched it yet but people are talking about it so I, I, I couldn't ignore it um and it was basically a story and they actually had the flight attendant that was on the plane right from hell which is kind of like um basically like wrestling folklore um because some it's like People say, like, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. Some people say it might have been worse. And going off of these stories, it looks like it was a lot worse. So they actually had one of the um, flight attendants on the, um, from that flight detailing how she was backed up into um, the flight galley by Ric Flair, where I guess his thing was when, you know, he was synonymous with doing this, like, Prank or rib, as they call it, where he would wear his robe. Um, you know he's famous for wearing his robes, and under the robe he had nothing on, and he basically cornered this woman and exposed himself. And according to her, and according to her, um, uh, took her hand
0: and um, took her hand and made her like touch him, and she ended up later
1: signing, um, suing as a co-defendant, um, because the company SportsJet, they basically told them to keep it on the hush, but it was such a traumatizing event for these people working on this flight that they, um, had to seek legal recourse. Um, and Tommy Dreamer was on it and I guess he was on a flight. So, cause this was right after the, um, acquisition of wcw and ecw so it was like one big old um company and it was WWE was like the be all end all and tommy dreamer was really very like dismissive
0: and actually very um antagonistic towards uh this woman and
1: you know jim ross was on there he was the head of talent relations and he was basically you know, at least he had like um I don't know if you would say decency to say like okay um do I know if it happened? No, I was I didn't see it, but could it have could it have happened? Yeah, and Tommy Dreamer, you kind of like knew where he was coming from um like where he he was going with what he said because um he was oh everything's offensive my ponytail's offensive now probably to somebody and I was like, oh boy, here's this guy. Um and you know, it was, it was just disgusting. Um because uh people always say that like, oh like this is offensive now. It's like nah bro like it was offensive back then but the problem is that back then as opposed to now um the person who's being offended by it didn't have the voice nor had the support behind her because she even detailed how it was tough for her to explain what happened to her husband because she was like, you know, her husband asked, you know, what did you do? Were you flirting with him? Um, were you smiling at him? et cetera, et cetera. So basically uh, you know, he put responsibility onto her. Um Tommy Dream also said like, Well, if she felt so um accosted, why didn't she go to the police? Why did she take the settlement? And first of all, she he, was a co-defendant the person who was suing um basically brought her in um as a co-defendant on the lawsuit to kind of support her and she took the settlement because it was such a traumatic experience that she didn't want to deal with it anymore and kind of get over it but tommy dreamer just basically highlighted the fact that as we progress as a society like it's always going to be these people that are stuck in like the stone age and i think like the last Four years, um, and maybe even currently, um, we're seeing that we saw it on January 6th. You know, there's a lot of people that just are, you know, stuck in the past, and Tommy mm-hmm. Dream was one of them. And as I said, I didn't feel anything about him. And it's funny because he claims that he was going to try, he, he was so depressed and upset at like Paul Heyman in like 2001 that he was going to go to WrestleMania pop the gate and murder commit murder suicide at wrestlemania um and i didn't bury him but um obviously that coupled in with the shit last night that was revealed and his um conduct during that show you know a lot of people are really like looking down on tommy dreamer and rightly so you know uh, when it comes to rick flair it's like yeah, perhaps like this type of shit was like acceptable and funny back then, but it's not now and people are just being held accountable. I don't think that's that's wrong. Um and you know, he, he 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 has, you know, denied that this shit happened and that's his right and um nobody knows about the people involved. So it'd be interesting to see because like we thought like Ric Flair would be joining AEW. Um so it's gonna be interesting to see if he um if if they choose to go down that road with him now that this stuff is out um
0: but Rob Damme
1: said something uh well he said one thing too also in the thing where he was talking about how they would you know as part of the rib they would drug guys with um some kind of like quailu that would make them knock them out and just drop it in their drink,
0: and he kinda of like off oh, for- g h b yeah
1: exactly And he also
0: um flipp-
1: flippantly was like yeah like back in the day it would, um the girls that hung around they would pass them out and out their way with them and it was kind of sad like um very like you know like i said flippantly it was just like yeah and they also did that i was just like we were like like uh, sexual that's rape um but he in in Later on at the end of the episode he was like, you know, like they all you know, the, the the people always say like you should never meet your heroes because um you have an image of them and then when you meet them and you meet you see the real person, like you um, more often than not are disappointed and you know, it was implied that like Ric Flair was that person for a lot of people. Um and then I saw a different stories afterwards. Um People posted different videos, like Teddy Long talking about, like, Rick Flair trying to get him fired um, when he was in WCW for reasons. And then um, Shane Douglas talking about how, you know, he wanted, he got into the wrestling business to be like Ric Flair. And then he saw what Rick Flair was like, and he was like, wow, like, this isn't, like, a, this is a person who, on the wrestling side, I want to emulate myself as, but on the personal side, I don't want to. Um, and it made him have to carry himself a certain type of way because, um, if somebody met Ric Flair and saw what he did, people would think that that's what all wrestlers did because everybody would want to be Ric Flair. So I just thought that was an interesting thing. And like I said, it, it was one of them things with Tommy Dreamer, like, I didn't really have an opinion on him. And then all of a sudden I watched this thing and I'm like, wow, Tommy Dreamer, Tommy Dreamer is like a piece of crap. Like he's he's like uh, he's he's not a good guy, or at least he doesn't have um a, a good mindset. So I just wanted to talk about that for a little
2: bit. Yeah, and before I, we I get into it. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Uh, eventually, will. But my my DMs and people were like, wrestling fans were like writing to me, "Hey, like, and, like Tommy Dreamer," because I'm from Yonkers, you know. And uh, just just to get out of the way, I met him when I was a kid, and I met him like five years ago. And ever since I met him five years ago, I go, this guy's a prick. But I, 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 and everything he said, like on his show, he'll bust it open. I, it always conflicts. He reminds me of people I grew up with that I don't associate with anymore. And this, I have no opinion on it yet because I didn't really see it. But I, I saw the clips of that. And uh, it's just things I already knew. And I guess for the power of a documentary of people seeing this, like, on a larger scale, because we have way more wrestling fans now that you never knew anything about it. Me, I remember the day after the Play Right From Hell, I was a little kid, I used to go on the dirt sheets on the computer, and it said 10 people, or all these people, like, released, and, like, they said what happened, and I was watching it while it was, like, going on. They fired Mr. Perfect, Scott Hall, a um, bunch of guys, and um, he was still around, but, yeah, but... Uh,
0: and they kind of like the
2: they were like, wow,
1: like, perhaps, like, Mr. Perfect didn't really, like, deserve to get fired because, um, all he did was, like, kind of play a prank, which he, as everybody knows about Mr. Perfect, um, Kurt Hennig, he, he's known for being, like, a prankster, like, that was his reputation in the locker room, so, um, they, they fired him, and it was sad
2: because not too long afterwards, he passed away. Yeah, I know, there's a lot of, like, a Less than a year later, he was dead. Uh, passed away. Um,
0: but I remember that very
2: vividly. That's when I stopped watching for a while, and then I got back to it later. But ever since then, I've been watching shoot interviews. I, Like you mentioned, the Teddy Long thing. I saw that interview like 10 years ago about that. So when everyone was talking about how the whole Hogan thing happened, I was like, well, look at Andre. Look at Rick. I was like, this, this is well documented. And then again, don't meet your heroes. You saw them. I don't, I don't keep these guys. I don't evaluate them. I, they're not like... I know what they are. So I never really like, oh, I'm not shocked by the things I hear. Cause it's like, carny, it's carny culture and it's people that are like nomads who had nothing else to do. And they, they jumped on the road and lived this crazy lifestyle. Yeah.
1: And it, it talks about how like the power structure kind of keeps you, um, in place because we're clear that suffer any kind of repercussions from it. You know, as you said, a lot of people got fired. A lot of people got fined. Um, Jim also talked about a lot of tough conversations he had with people. And when he was asked about Rick Flair, he was just like, well, you know, he's, he's Rick Flay. He was basically a made man. It's like, you really couldn't do anything about it. And that kind of goes into the whole thing now with this era of, you know, listening to women, um, not even just women, but listening to men, anybody who's been like sexually harassed or assaulted, um, And it's just like wild because going back to like Tommy Dreamer, he's basically like, yeah, it was all like fun and games. Who doesn't do stuff like that? It's just like if you get pleasure from somebody being uncomfortable and repulsed, something is wrong with you. And there's something wrong with that. And the fact that you're not, you know, like you're not, you're not seeing that disconnect, you know, speaks volumes about your character. Um and Unfortunately, also what's going on with a lot of people—they're just being ignorant about it. And as I said, it's not that all of a sudden these things you can't do these things or this is wrong. It's like it's always been wrong. It's just now people have a voice and people have the support of people because when you're sitting there listening to the story, we both worked in you know the service industry, yeah, the food service industry, and places of retail where you have to deal with customers and you kind of got to put your like best foot forward and you kind of got to take a lot of shit that nobody really should have to take so i totally understood where she she was coming from and i mean like us what we had to do with like just customers you're talking about a woman you know on for one like a like one. we we just you know on the road again it's been the name of our thing we've been traveling so we've been on planes. just like imagine being on a plane and all of these drunk wild idiots are like running around and you have to be the professional person here and their bosses are on the plane their bosses are on the plane their boss's boss and the main guy vince mcmahon and they didn't even talk about like vince mcmahon doing stuff because you know it's a famous story that him and like um, Kurt Angle were like wrestling each other on the plane and that didn't get brought up but as I said I didn't want to make this into a whole thing so I'm just wrap it up but again like I said these you know for the people listening I have this Tommy Dreamer mindset i of just like oh like everything's offensive now like it was just a prank it was guys yeah, having fun it was like if you listen to that woman talk like it, it was not fun if you listen to Terry Reynolds a lot of shit she had to put up with was not fun. So, you know, your fun coming at somebody's expense, like, you know, and their um personal um, space and boundaries being crossed, like, you know, those are wrong period. And I think, as I said, people didn't have the platform and they didn't have the voice, they didn't have the support. They didn't have people behind them, like, nah, this type of behavior is, is, you know, this type of behavior is, like, apparent, you know. So, but we got, like, a whole bunch of other stuff. And we, we actually, one of the people, like, we're going to talk about later on, he kind of fell into that same mode of, like, you know, doing a lot of shit that would be unacceptable today.
2: I'll wrap up my thing. Um Before we get into Super Freak, I'm going to say that, of course, I'm a super fan. Uh I know all this stuff. I spend my time, like my pastime, like bully well, shoot interviews and stuff. Uh, now that this has been presented to like the world, they're going to go back. A couple years before Roddy Piper died, he said that he was sexually assaulted by Pat Patterson and um, the Lord Alfred Hayes. So he would be like, close your eyes. And then he did the same thing that Ric Flair did or, or allegedly, did, let's say alleged. Uh, like, oh, give me your hand. He closed his eyes and he would put his member Buddy Piper's hand, and this one he was like, you know, like he was a young guy, like in the late '70s, early '80s, and
0: uh, only after his career, we talked
2: about it when we talked about Buddy Piper's biography, that he started opening up. Obviously, dealt all, he he started dealing with all this stuff, and what he got, he had reprimanded. He got like fined when he went on HBO and started venting about stuff. Uh, now you don't really hear much about him anymore uh, from the abuse side, because like he spoke out, you know, a man spoke out, and Jake uh, Roberts speaking out. Uh, so that's important to know now. And if you go back with Tommy dreamer, there's documentaries about him talking about ECW where it was like, I don't know. I'm not, allegedly, I'm just going to say he was, he seems like he was like a exhibitionist whatever, where the person he was married to is not married anymore. He didn't mind. He was like, all right. Yeah. He was open about it. And it was like a game to him because he probably idolized Ric Flair, you know? And, uh, he gets, he's still around, but you have a guy like Shane Douglas who was against it and he's blackballed, you know, he's, he, you don't really see him anymore. Uh, but yeah, but we'll, maybe one time uh when the season is progressing we'll we'll do a whole little thing about dark side. But we have more to talk about now. Uh another f- first thing we're gonna talk about, um it hit, hit me hard. You know, I know every week we always talk about the celebrity passing. Um I feel like like we tried doing like we did a poly shore thing where it's like, let's let's celebrate some people. Uh last week we unfortunately had to do a Michael Williams one. Uh, but just to celebrate, we had Daphne. We would celebrate, um, but like Monday night, my brother came over and uh, he was looking around, and he goes, "Oh, let me borrow that." And it was the Norm Macdonald memoir. Uh, I listened to the audio first, but I and I loved it because it was in his voice.
0: Mm-hmm. And he
2: um, he had the book version of it, of course, and I got it. I read most of it, but I, I read the whole I, I heard the whole thing, and it was it was really cool it's like from his point of view. My brother borrowed it. Um, two days later, he texted me, a, I say a picture of him, and I thought it was him just saying like, he started reading it, and it says, uh, Norm McDonald passes away at 61. And I'm like, ah, oh. because like, we always talk about comedy, too. Um, talk about this, the funny story of us meeting Artie Lang. Norm McDonald was probably my like, top three guy, uh, but we're getting into uh, the whole story about uh, my, 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 my fandom of him and my appreciation of him when we talk about him after passing away at 61 from a uh, long battle of cancer that no one really knew about which is another interesting thing. Uh another uh person that uh is being um, everyone a lot of people have like uh their opinion the image of uh Rick James. But um I decided I was like you know what I heard I heard good things about this documentary uh Bitchin', the Sound of Fury of Rick James. I was always a fan of him. Um growing up I knew him as like the tabloid guy, the guy always in trouble. And then when my brother started uh messing around with like music, he had all his vinyl and stuff. So he would play all the seventies stuff, uh, straight out of L seven, you know, the Buffalo the, the, all that stuff was great. Um, so I was like, sure, you should check this out and we we watched it and uh, kinda of put uh, it's like a portrait of a different man that we have become known uh about, you know, through We'll get into it, but you know, you know what I'm saying with that. Uh, but, Chug, let's, uh, let's first talk about, uh, again, another bummer. But uh, when we were working together, we always said we'd like check out a Nick game or something. And then before or after, we, we check out this spot uh, owned by one of the greatest Knicks of all time, Walt Clyde Frazier. Uh, Walt Clyde's wine and dine over on the west side. Uh, during the week, he tweeted that it was permanently shutting down. It would remain closed because ever since COVID, it's been shut down. So we saw that, and we were like, "Oh, we're gonna talk about
0: it." Yeah, like yeah, we always said like
1: we wanna go, and then obviously COVID hit, and um everywhere closed, and some places came out of COVID unscathed. I do recall like during the pandemic when restaurants and public places were closed and they were only doing takeout and stuff like that um you'd hear every week several different places getting closed like permanently not just like you, know, you just close it for a little bit and we'll open back in, you know hopefully in a couple months and i guess like Clyde's one and dine didn't um wasn't able to survive after which is disappointing because i thought mike when we started this was like and throughout, like, the past season, um, where the Knicks had this wonderful um, season, we're like, yeah, like, next year, like, when we get to, like, our 100 shows, you know, go to class one and dine and kind of celebrate. Because um, I've never been, or, Mike, you've never
2: been either, right? I, I, I've been near it. Uh, I think yeah, I went
1: to it. I never actually, I never ate. I was supposed to, but I never did. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, class is, like, a beloved um, figure here amongst us Knicks fans, and really amongst New Yorkers. Um, uh, for me, he's a personally kind of um a cool figure to me because he has property down in the Virgin Islands where I'm from, um, down in Saint Croix. Um, and me being a person from Saint Thomas, you know, the fact that he calls the Virgin Islands a second home, out, that was like an extra thing that. Um made me really appreciate number ten um so yeah it's it's unfortunate it's unfortunate that when we um reach the light at the end of this tunnel and you know our you know outside is fully back open back up, you know there's a lot of things that are gonna be you know um significantly different, and that's one of the things so unfortunately we won't get to go to Clyde's, wine and dine. Um, But who knows? Maybe he might open a new restaurant down the road and you know, we'll be there. I know a lot of Knicks fans, they posted that it was an awesome place to not only um partake and wine and dine, so to speak, uh, it was a good place for Knicks fans to go and celebrate and um, Walt wasn't obviously wasn't a stranger to his own restaurant so he'd go around and meet and greet talk to customers and stuff like that so unfortunately uh, we we you know we won't get to get that opportunity but hopefully um maybe down the road something um new comes along and you know uh class one and die could you know rise again in some other way and if it doesn't even though we haven't been there we appreciate um what it was
2: and and on the bright side um. Uh that first opened that area was still kinda of like out of the way a little bit. Mm-hmm. But now if you go down there, it is booming. So, um, hopefully Clyde, you know, hopefully he got, you know, came out well well benefited from it and despite having to close down, um because again, I, that that would have been a perfect spot to watch. Hopefully the next do another run and watch a game there and stuff. Um I just love his tweet. Like he was still doing his whole meeting and greeting you all. Like you know, you always cladisms and stuff. Uh, yeah, he's always my favorite. And he's like one of my favorite commentators too. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. So we can of that, thankfully we are
1: like only but less than three weeks away from the Knicks playing basketball again because ah, New York sports buddy.
2: <laughs> when did it get so uh, so um decrepit it feels like we always do this uh every couple shows uh we do a little tribute uh, to someone who's passed um this week uh it's someone that's always on my mind uh it's not someone who uh, oh i forgot about him um it's someone mm-hmm. that i was a fan of constantly and i would go back to it every couple months and go on a binge and watch Norm McDonald on talk shows stand up he had a really awesome YouTube show like five years ago, maybe a little longer. That was uh, kind of like a Joe Rogan type thing or like uh Mark Maron where it was like guests. Um, but yeah, Norm MacDonald uh, passed away at 61. The funny thing is he always seemed like he was older than that, like growing up. He always seemed older, like an older old soul, like an older spirit. But when I first saw him, it was when I first... Because I've been watching SNL since day one like on reruns and stuff as a little kid but when I first started watching SNL which at a time was a big deal was in the mid 90s when it was live I would stay up and I'd be almost falling asleep and I'd be watching SNL and then weekend update was Norm Macdonald at the time I had no idea what was going on but that's all my memories of like scandals and tabloid news and just like political stuff came from there like looking back I'm like oh I first heard about that. There. And uh, Norm was a very controversial, outspoken, funny, uh, funny guy. And I'm gonna get into more of his career and things I appreciate it. But, Shug, uh, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, well, I was definitely like a big fan, and um, just getting into it. I, he,
1: you know, we got an update is like my favorite, and sometimes the only segment of saturday night live i watch on from time to time but he was a little bit before like when i started watching it because i think when i started watching it um the weekend update hosts were jimmy fallon and, and tina Fey. um but i remember he for a time used to show um reruns of like old SNL episode, so I did see him on, I got to to see him you know, while he was on Saturday Night Live so I'm familiar with him what he was doing, Weekend Update and Weekend Update is, is, is important because they kind of do basically what we do or, you know obviously we ain't not big so I'd say we do what they do which is where they take, you know um, topical stuff, um, current events and kind of um make light of it or put like like some kind of like satire towards it um which worked for him because he had like such a unique voice and such a um uh unique delivery um of his comedy and the term people use is like deadpan and he was basically the master of it and if you what a lot of people circulated was when he did um, Bob Saget's Comedy rules. It was just reeling off jokes. And it was like, people weren't like laughing at it. I was just like, you're thinking like, oh, it isn't funny, but it was like, it was meant to be that way. Like it was his delivery where it was like, I'm gonna just like, say these things like, very like monotone and then like, let you digest it and then laugh. And that was the type of, um, delivery delivery that he had and as I say he had a very unique voice. So the way I was introduced to him was through voice acting. Oh. And the first one and I totally I I totally forgot because I hadn't seen these movies in so long. Um as a kid, Dr Doolittle with Eddie Murphy. And Norm actually played um acted in you know his voice he was lucky the dog who was actually the first like animal um kind of like the sidekick to the dr doolittle um character so he had a really like prominent role in the movie um you know he he was the one animal that started talking to um eddie murphy's character like regularly
0: but he was actually
1: in all the both the theatrical movies and then the spin off movies. Um I think like the third one had like kyle Pratt in it. And then I think like they had a fourth and a fifth one. But he was in all of the movies. Um he played Lucky the Dog in Those movies.
0: And then another um voice acting that he was famous for is that he played Death, like the Grim
1: Reaper, but Death on Family Guy, um and he was on Family Guy, um, pre cancellation, because to me as a uh, like a purveyor of Family Guy, I really enjoyed the first three seasons of Family Guy, and I'm one of the people that watched on Adult Swim. And when people were watching those 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 episodes from those three seasons, those first three seasons before they got canceled, it like regained popularity, and that's why. Fox picked it back up, and that's why it's still on air today. Um, but my favorite episodes were one that were involving Death because he—it was Norm Macdonald, and he—he he played he was Death? You know, he was kind of like sarcastic. He was like sarcastic. Um, he was like a sarcastic asshole. But he's Death. Like he goes around and he just touches people and kills them. Uh, it was like Death bad, It was it was per- it was like the perfect role for him. So that's. That's where he was. Um, that's where he was. Like, he he resonated with me through his like voice work, and then of course with the movies and stuff. Like, you know, playing um Billy Madison's friend in um Billy Madison with Adam Sandler, who he was also very like close with in real life from the time on Saturday Night Live. Um, and then big movies like Dream Work which we um we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh um, basically gonna get into it. And then Screwed, which I saw for the first time like a couple of years ago, which had him and of course one of my favorites. See, I, I think I picked the perfect shirt. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Right uh because I wear my Chappelle Bunch shirt. So it had Dave Chappelle so I had, you know, Norm who I'm a fan of and Dave who I'm um, of course a huge fan of. And Danny Levito was in that movie yeah. too, it was really, it's really great, um, but, you know, Billy Madison is funny, of, uh, like, as so, soon so as somebody brought up Billy Madison, I just remember my favorite part, and it was just, like, perfect for, um, No McDonald, where he was playing, like, one of his buddies, And I believe, like, he had, he had two buddies, and, like, he had the most, like, speaking, um, the most lines, Right, like a part where they're like watching the news, and it's like they're saying that um the, the middle school um principal or the elementary school principal says that um the son of this hotel billionaire who just um decided to go back to school and graduated all to graduate all his classes in order to inherit the hotel business paid him to um, get him to fix his rays or some shit. And then everybody starts looking at Billy uh, Madison, Adam Sandler's character, and Norm MacDonald's character is like, wait, 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 how do we know what they're talking about Billy? And it's like <laughs> and it's like the funniest, it's like one of the
2: funniest parts of the movie. And that, that part will always
1: um, sit with me. Or like when he's like, oh,
2: Billy, it's sort of the funniest thing, Billy?
0: <laughs>
2: Billy's in school man
0: oh yeah but, but that's the delivery like you mentioned the delivery
2: earlier so um, that just let me just say uh, how I feel about the delivery where at one point it's in the 90s it was very abrupt and very um, people always made fun of like Asian crack whore like, like I set up and then like the punchline was just like something like Stark like that like you know crack whore you know a weekend update would be like uh, yeah, I think with uh, Frank's. You guessed it, Frank Stallone. Like the the answer to everything that, like, that happened in the news, like yeah. he was a culprit. Yeah, it kept going on. Like uh, someone used it actually as like the tribute, like, as like the photo. Um, but later on too, uh, he was again like an old soul, uh, especially when he got older, and he would tell these long-winded stories. Like you ever hear the bed and breakfast story? Mm-mm. Right, so the bed and breakfast story, and it goes on for like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. There's like there's like funny things here and there, but you're still listening. Like it's not like a setup joke, setup joke, setup joke. It's just like long story. And um, but then at the end, it's an, again, again it goes back to like an abrupt, quick little one liner. Uh, like he could have just made the joke in one minute, but he made it like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. And it reminded me of like kind of like an old uncle or like a grandpa who tells like jokes at parties and stuff. And he had that demeanor. Um, and with me, even as a kid, because I guess my, the edgy thing I would stay up late and watch shows and stuff like with Letterman, and he was a constant guest on Letterman and Conan. Uh, Larry Sanders. I completely forgot that one of my favorite scenes ever in that series, which I love. It's uh has to do with Hank Kingsley, and he has a sex tape pre-internet, so it was like physical VHS that they're trying to like get back, so it wouldn't go on hard copy or whatever. And Norm Macdonald is. Uh, I'm just going to do it real quick he's just like not listening to henry winkler henry winkler is like why am i on? he's like nervous because like he thinks the show is going bad because hank is like i'm drunk like look so focused hank what's your <laughs> secret He's like i'm drunk and then uh so then uh uh henry winkler is talking to Norm mcdonald like when they're on a commercial break on the on the uh on the, on the couch and he goes like you have a weird feeling about that and then he just cuts him off and he goes hey did you see uh did you see hank's tape and he's like, oh, and he, I didn't. And then, and then later on, was talking to Hank again, he's like, I heard you have a tape. Are you excited about your tape? And he's like, fuck you, Fonzie. Like, fuck you, Fonzie. And then Norm <laughs> is like, Hank's got a great big old cock. And he's like, why is he so angry? Like, it's like with that whole, like, you know, very vulgar, you know, but also in an old-timey way, um, just telling stories. And then it's very, very memorable. Uh, please check out Don Giller. He has a YouTube channel and YouTube. He comp he compiles everyone's guests, everyone guest spots on shows. He did uh Fred Willard, not Fred Willard, uh the, the Weatherman, who was like the original Ronald McDonald on TV. He just did like a, an hour compilation of his work. He did a Norm McDonald thing years ago. And every like six months I'd I'd go back and watch him. Him on Conan, him on Letterman. And so, like we said, he was on Weekend Update and he was very controversial where he was very uh, opinionated on O.J. Simpson, which was like the biggest news story from when he was doing his weekend update from like the mid-90s till when he was finally let go. But he was very, very uh, adamant. You know, he would always talk about O.J. being guilty and the Clintons being like murderers. Like he was like, he would say stuff like that. And it like, was like awkward laughs and people would be like, all right. But apparently uh, O.J.'s like best friend was in charge of NBC at the time, Donald Meyer. And so he went out to David Letterman to promote SNL and letter and Letterman's like, Hey, how you doing? Um, how's it going with the show? You know, you're doing the weekend update. He's like, Oh, you didn't hear? I I was fired. And Letterman didn't even know, like, he was like, what? Yeah, apparently I'm not funny enough for it. And then like he went on this whole thing. And of course Letterman has his background with NBC and his, his time with there in the in the eighties and early nineties. So, uh, he mentioned Don Elmire and then, um, everyone was like oh he's an idiot he's a bozo he doesn't know what's funny and things like that and then when he went on the show like 6 months later or a year later to promote Dirty Work he goes hey remember that time you were making you were saying that Don Omar was a bozo and not funny yeah. and i and i defended him and i said that he was no he's a good guy well apparently you were correct <laughs> <laughs> so that he, he was a great guest on uh talk shows and we love you know we love to talking to talk shows um but yeah let's talk about uh when people think of movies besides guest spot we think of dirty work and i know this movie is near and dear to you yeah, yeah
1: because we've met Artie lang awesome dude awesome 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 dude great uh makes that up um at the first you know like you beat somebody watch, you know um a lot of their um, tv shows and you, you you know you're aware of their person it's like what the fuck do you talk about and we had already been kind of, like, you know, drinking and and um, stuff beforehand. So I was kind of, like, tipsy. So we meet him. And I was like, oh, man, I love your shit, man. Like, when you want Harold Stern. I used to stay up and, and watch it every night before I went to sleep on, like, school nights. And I was talking about, like, Bear League. And then I was like, that one movie. And then that movie, Men at Work. And I, I totally fucked the movie up. <laughs> he was like, he's like, oh, he was like, that's a good movie. I'm not sure in it." <laughs> i was like, no, nah, man, the one you were in with Norm, um, no McDonald, man, um, Dirty Works." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, man, that was a hard movie to do, but I think he, I think he saw the dude. He's norm school and it was just like a fun time making it, and
0: it's a great movie.
1: And I, I posted like the one, um." Uh, one clip from it the part where um like they're talking and he's like you gotta think for um i guess like they like part of their dirty work was like one of the politicians like somehow got them because it's a movie about like if nobody's familiar with it where like um they had to raise money um for ari lang's dad who was also revealed to be norm's dad they grew up as best friends but they didn't know they were like half brothers but his um
0: father, who was played by the late great Jack Ward, who um I know from Problem Child
1: as grandpa, and you'd also know him from the movie Replacements, where he was like the owner of the football team. Um, he played their dad, and it was like one of his comedic roles. And they had to raise money for him to get some kind of surgery. Chevy Chase was the the doctor. Um like I'm just reeling off like people in the movie because it's a funny movie. Really, really funny movie. Um Christopher McDonald is the politician. Um Shooter McGavin,
2: if if nobody knew Shooter McGavin's real name. Don Rickles, the famous Don, Don Rickles was in
0: it, yeah. Um
2: Ad lib, an ad lib scene, apparently. You, you know, that's that's the shit. Yeah. Uh, so then filming it and he was like ripping ripping them. Yeah, so they had to tear down um
1: he kinda got they the into for this business where they essentially paid them to um if anybody like wronged you they would do some kind of like um revenge. Revenge. revenge it was yeah it was like a revenge for hire thing. So um Christopher McDonald's character told them not like they're these uh the girl that he likes grandma is like running like a process like a brothel out of like a nursing home and they didn't know any better so he didn't want to do it but then he was like they need to they they have to do it because it was like a big job and it would have like put them over um in order to get the surgery or the operation not their um well, I think he needed like a kidney, and the uh, Chevy Chase. The doctor was like telling him, "Like, yeah, if you come over like fifty thousand dollars, like I can move him up on the list for for um the donor list." Um, so the last job would have been um like carrying down like this nursing home. Um, Lyons is like, I think you got a thing for her, don't you? And he's like, no. I he's like i know he's like i know you man like every time you say no like that you're lying and he's like what do you mean and he's like watch this and he's like have you ever fought in a war no have you ever climbed, climbed mount average no didn't you say that you could see why women find sean connery attractive no he's like all right man maybe i do like it. like it it just speaks to like, just the greatness of, of him. And um, I know like when we talk about people and we're celebrating their lives, like um, it might seem like we're, we're exaggerating um, about how great they are and how much they mean to us and to uh, popular culture and um, their contributions. But it really is, there's a lot of people that, that we talk to that pass on. And they don't really get their flowers, and it was interesting to see Norm McDonald. That like, there was a lot of like black people, cause you know me, like I'm gonna like I'm a I'm a I'm a um I'm a very like Epicurious dude. I I, I like different things that aren't stereotypically black, but there was like a lot of black people was like Nah, man, I'm not Norm McDonald. Like so it shows sure like how like um. Yeah, how much he he crossed over and how how, um, mainstream, I guess in the opposite way, where he was just funny to every fucking body, which is like hard to do. Because usually it's like, you know, white comedians, they're probably only funny to like white people. Um, Latino comedians are only funny to like Latino people and sometimes white people. And then like black comedians, they're usually funny. There's a lot that's just funny to black people and there's a lot that's funny to everybody. So Norm one was like one of them people that just, you know, cross over, as you said.
2: And I mentioned in our intro that I had the book, the memoir, uh, based on a true story where it's like his story, but it's like fake. too. So it's like, you can't tell with like all his like stories and um and bits, you can't tell if they're like real or he's just making it up. Like the Bed and Breakfast story that he told like a uh, letterman where, like, he went, I don't want like to go to hotels, because, you know, my nightclub acts, and he, uh, so he went to a bed and breakfast, and he was like, they say it would be cool, and it was just him, and this old man, it, it could be a fake name, but <laughs> the name of the old man who owned the bed and breakfast was hysterical, it was like, Old Man McGree, something like that, and he goes, there I am, uh, 12 at night, about to go to sleep, I hear a knock on my door, oh no, that's old man whatever, he probably wants he probably wants sex.
0: <laughs>
2: no, he wanted to play war games or something.
0: Um, but, but with the
2: book, having the book, I have the book in an area where I have like novels and memoirs,
0: and I have it right next to Artie Lang, the one
2: that, uh, that I got from him to sign when we, when we got to meet Artie Lang. And they had a bond. Norm MacDonald, uh, he actually introduced Artie Lang to Howard Stern. There's an episode where he, out of nowhere, he just cuts off Howard Stern. And he goes, I got my buddy in the uh, green room, Artie Lang. He's a big fan of yours. So he got him to come out. And then yeah. a few times, Artie was like his guest. Then Artie got the guest spot. And then he became like, we all know the crazy story that he has with Howard Stern. Now it became like such a big part of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he owed that to him. And then Artie Lang um, had young, early success with Mad TV. And then he went to jail and stuff. And then Norm is like, you're going to come on set. Right. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, gonna be in the movie right and he gave him a shot like he was like the first person to give him a shot after the whole you're never gonna work in hollywood again type thing and then he put him on norm show you know so they had a bond uh he's the one time article has has tweeted instagram whatever in the last couple years was him a picture of him and uh Norm McDonald. uh but yeah i mean he was that type of guy um he was a guy on Twitter, a norm I would always see, and it was kinda of like a long joke where it's like he's just talking about like sports and stuff, like hey, like it, it felt like a weird bit he was doing, but um that's kinda of the last time we've seen him in the last couple of years and we find out that when he he made his comeback pretty much in like the early twenty tens,
0: mm-hmm.
2: he had a show on Comedy Central, which was like funny. Um but then like he did, he was very political too and very, you know, He he seemed like a religious man. He uh now I now looking back it makes more sense. But his last like couple of specials
0: very dark
2: about death. Um, like he he was very like you know talking about cancer. He asked us a bit about cancer, and he says, "You say you lost the battle with cancer." Like he like I don't like that. Like you lost your battle with cancer. Uh, the only way to kill cancer is to die. He's like that. So, So. I call it a win win or like, we'll call it even. Yeah, like, call it a tie, yeah. And then the other thing he said about like, his ashes, this is the epitome of his delivery and joke. He goes, When I die, I want to be cremated and I want my ashes spread eagle and fuck like a dirty whore <laughs> you
0: know. <what> <laughs> like,
2: so he was like very much like that and you know, he'll be missed. Um uh, but uh you know very political um uh, he hosted the s b s uh correspondence dinner Um and it never really became that detrimental to his popularity again across the board. I know left and right, different cultures. Um I think people appreciate people who speak their mind and don't back down. Um in a time of time like now that we're living in, uh he kept talking and uh he got his point of view out and I think we all appreciated it, Chuck, right? And like if you go on his IMDB page
1: like, even if you never heard or seen any of the things we talked about, what he was in so much stuff that, with his voice acting, again, he's probably been in stuff you've seen. Cause I was looking through his thing, and it was like a lot of like kids' movies, like he was voicing characters in. So, R.I.P. R. 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 No McDonald. um, And, you know, show me the money sends their thoughts and prayers to his friends and loved ones. One, of course, like we said we met, so um our our heart is with Artie Lang who, um, as Mike said, was very close and we got to meet him and he was a cool dude. So if I, I know like he's hurting some somewhat, if not a lot. So we, we, we send our love out to him and anybody else who's been touched by
2: No McDonald. But Got something special coming up here next. At, here on Show Me the Mooney, we talk about uh, a lot of documentaries. Uh, earlier, we were talking about Dark Side of the Ring, where things like stories, well-known stories around like the niche subculture, knew about, and then you, pre- you present it to the world uh, in a documentary form, much like uh, a lot of crime uh, Netflix series. I know a very popular podcast was serial and there like, was like things that were in the news, but then when you put it together and you like, kind of do like an investigative version of it or just highlight different aspects of a person, uh, a different picture is uh, presented. And even if someone passed away and like years have gone by, you could kind of um, illuminate and kind of portray someone in a different way that never really was there at the time. And um, I heard things about this documentary. My mom was a big fan of him. Uh, Rick James, uh, bitchin', Sound of Fury of Rick James. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening, like, Shook is wearing the Dave Chappelle shirt. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in younger generations were introduced to him through the Rick James, I'm Rick James bitch. Yeah. What sort are of the. Sort of the... What did the hand say to the face? You know, slap. That all man? He became like a very character, you know, very, he, he was alive at the time and he was part of it. Earlier in the 90s, uh, I remember seeing on hard copy and uh, even appeared on like people's court. He was just kind of like a tabloid fodder. Uh, and b- before that, uh, he, he, was, he had an amazing musical career that is so diverse. I claim to be this know-it-all I hadn't know I didn't know a lot about his earlier days. Um Shug, you didn't hear about this document until I told you about it and you watched it and what was your initial uh thoughts on from what you perceived Rick James to be and how you see him now?
0: Oh, it, it was it was what I,
1: I um expected it to be. Like, you know, we, we everybody knows the story of like Rick James. Um he's a fantastic musician. Um that obviously was highlighted incredibly in, in the, um, in the series, and
0: you know, over the years,
1: throughout his, um, in the years after his death, like, it's, it's, um, 17 years after his death, I I totally even forgot that he died at 56, I thought he died at, like, 64, I mean, that's, that's an eight-year difference, but, I was like, wow, because he's the same age of my my grandma. So if he would have lived today, he would have been like the age of my grandmother. Um, but everything, you know, he was a man. Uh, that, that's the one thing. Like my my final note after watching it, I'm like a flawed individual. Um, but it was just like he 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 left his mark on the world. Um and but he was not without um his de- demons and a lot of it came from drug use. And then at the end of it when it was just like he died and he had nine drugs in his system. Um uh, after years of drug use, it was just like, whoa, nine nine drugs and I'm like, damn like if you if you drink like a beer with a shot of alcohol, that seems like a little bit like wild, like especially like in our thirties now, at our late twenties, is just like you, you, you gotta um, you gotta take a day off after like a night of drinking. So imagine just like trying like nine drugs at the same time. But you know, it, it did a lot of of good stuff and like highlighting um the music that he made and just the innovations that he did with music, as well as not really glorifying like his lifestyle because even though they they talk about it like his bandmates were just like yeah we used to party all the time we had the party all the time We <laughs> really talk about that too um you know they had the mansion i think it's the, like if i'm not mistaken that's the mansion from the godfather that he rented out and i think it was like one of like william randall Hurs houses uh,
2: that's the word you would call it so that's what see. Yeah, but it, it's a famous house. It's
1: got, like, a huge ass pool. Like, it's been in Godfather. I think it was in Scarface, and I believe it was in The the um the Jerk with um, Steve Martin. Um, But they used to party and do drugs and have sex and et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, everybody in his band was like, yo, like, we got to, like, it, it, we're too old for this shit now. Like, it's 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 time to, like, you got to stop. And it's just... Um, I think his ex-wife, um, Tanya said it at the end, where it was just, like, the drugs became so much a part, like, they destroyed his, like, pleasure centers in his body. Um, I think she didn't even want to go in, I, 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 like, I might be wrong, but this is what I gathered from it, is, like, the drugs killed the pleasure center, centers of his body, where, in fact, not, like, he didn't, didn't get pleasure from anything but drugs so i guess you didn't want to say it so explicitly but like even like having sex wasn't even like something that fascinated him anymore like he needed the only joy he got in life was like drugs it wasn't even the music wasn't the sex wasn't being around family and that was an interesting thing too to find out that like he um his first two children like he didn't really have a relationship with them until they were like 13 but it didn't really, like, paint him out to be, like, a deadbeat. It's just that him and the child's mother broke up. She took the kids. They moved around, lived different places. And it just so happened that one of her, one of his son's friends, um, because his son used to brag about, yeah, we're James, my dad, and, you know, our kids are, like, you lying. But one of the kids that he told her to, his dad was working security for rick james and it was just like you know like he, he talks to, he tells rick like you know my son says that like this boy is your son and he got a sister and he's like well you know it, it might be because i did have two kids so it could be them and like he sent out a pi and reconnected with them and luckily it looked like it, 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 he had a good relationship with them going on and it, it talked about how like he kind of had to learn how to be a dad because one of his um bandmates from Stone City band was um, upset because he saw Rick dealing with the son where the son like did something that like a child would do and like he kind of like talked to him like a like a man and the 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 bandmate was like dude like he's like a 12 year old kid like he's doing 12 year old kid shit you're supposed to just make sure like he, he doesn't do it anymore you can't um, like he was like he always doing dumbass shit and he's just like, yeah, Rick, that's part of growing up. Like you gotta be there to teach them right and wrong. And obviously, you know, Rick James wasn't like the best person for that. But it did show that he 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 when it came to being like a family man, like with his kids and then later on with um Tanya, who was the one that he was like caught up with in both of his um criminal cases in the nineties. Uh he, you know, he he was like a a, a loving person at times, but it's just like at times, like it wasn't all the time.
2: Yeah, um, we talking about upbringing, about him how he dealt with his twelve year old, uh, and he talked to him like a peer, you know, like talk about uh, Rick James growing up. They um, painted a great picture of talk about Buffalo, and Buffalo is not a place you would think of as like a musical town. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think of it. And then they described it as like most like segregated, racist stuff. And I was like, well, It reminds me of, uh, this reminds me of Yonkers a little bit. Yeah, in New York in general, too. Like yep. where everything is like, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't think so. Like Buffalo, mm-hmm. we, they broke it down, like the different areas. Uh, the musical scene that was there was very Afrocentric, like early, way before. Like when we think of that Afrocentric Black Panthers and stuff, we think of like the late 60s and stuff. I'm talking about the 50s and the early 60s uh that was a big influence on him uh he talked about how again well-spoken he he talked about how a psycho uh psychologist uh from school uh the mom the mom was like oh what's wrong with him whatever he's like oh no he's an individual he's highly educated highly uh, intelligent uh he just wants to be a star so i think from like day one they're painting this picture of him being an individual um mm-hmm. but adaptable like an individual a nomad but also like, able to adapt uh, at one point, because I like wrestling, they mentioned his gimmick or his like show identity, where he crafted his own. Again, Rick James is not his birth name. Like he he crafted this his identity. Started off um, one way, and he wanted a way out. One of his albums is called "Straight Out of L 7 or whatever.
1: Um, but he didn't. he didn't choose on. Well, well oh. he, he
2: he was told <laughs> that he was he could he, he wouldn't have to serve. And, yeah, he so he signed up. And, of course, he didn't want to follow... He, he, like, missed meetings and stuff, so then they sent him to active duty. And something that's very similar... Uh, I don't want really to get too personal, but, like, they talked about how, like, his mom ran numbers um, to make ends meet. Uh, he also uh, went AWOL. Eventually, he went he went to Canada, which is another surprise, like, Toronto music scene. That That's one of the influences that created Rick James. Um, you find out that he was with guys from... Uh, you know the band. If people aren't familiar with the band, check them out. They're very underrated. The Buffalo Springfield crew, Neil Young, people like that. Um, very folky, but also rock, which is a mixture of two different genres. And Rick James, uh, you know, surrounded himself with. Then music was very segregated. I mean, it still is up until like recently. They kind of blended it more. It was always very segregated. And he always has surrounded himself with different cultures. And that helped you know, very similar to one of my idols, Prince, right? Mm-hmm. At one point, you know, he took him under his wing and he, had, he I think Rick James thinks that he, like, ripped off him, so then they had, like, a split. Yeah, but the identity of, the, of Rick James, you know, sex on, on stage, simulated sex and stuff, this is stuff that he, you know, acquired over the years and just, like, cultivated and created. Uh, when he went back to America, he had to go to the brig. And that's, like, the military prison. And what happened? When he got out, he was motivated.
1: Like before that, like him and as you said, him and he was in a band with Neil Young and a couple other dudes. And I guess he got an argument with somebody, and that person, because remember he changed his name
2: in order to
1: to um in order to stay in Canada and you know lay low until after the war and possibly come back so he changed his name to um rick williams and eventually became rick james and then like you said somebody outed him he put somebody off i can't remember if it was somebody in the banners or somebody uh somebody he knew and that person like outed him as a um draft dodger and then they came and
0: got him and like you said they put him in a break so basically um, that killed
1: you know the the musical um I use my words because i I'm not saying like he yeah, had like animosity towards like Nick Young, I'm saying like they 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 were in a band together, and the reason why it's like cause it's one of those things that's like a trivia thing like oh did you know that Rick james and and Neil Young used to be roommates and used to be in a band together' it's like Nick young, uh Neil young and and, and Rick James, and I was like, why, why didn't they make music together and that's that's what it was. like they had to break up because he he was a military person um and that's that's why they didn't end up um doing music together um later on in the eighties, and of course, you know him and Neil had very different musical style but in the documentary he did talk about like his appreciation for um Neil Young's uh melody.
2: His melody styles, but did talk about how they were kind of like different. Once he's out of the brig, the brig, he kind of gravitates towards the Detroit sound, right? He goes to Motown, and maybe like, oh, I, this is where I belong. So he, so he was making what they would call black music, it's like soul music. I guess well, he wasn't really feeling it. So eventually, like when he goes to LA, he surrounds himself with different, different uh, cult, like culture, people from different cultures and stuff. And uh, we had the Salt-N-Pepa, Salt and no, Pepper, Salt and the Salt and Pepper um what was it again uh yeah it was a band with like different it was an interracial band they called it um and that's where he started experimenting more with different styles and sounds and while he was in like california too um and in la he became real close
1: to jc ring so it's kind of like connects with you know uh, once upon a time in hollywood um because he was meant to go to that party. His um, his girl, his um, girlfriend at the time, the mother of his kids, um, she wanted to go, and Rick, like the one time he didn't want to party, he was just like, "No, nah, I'm tired. We'll do something else, like another night, like whatever." And then the next day, like JJC G- bring gets murdered in um the Polanski house, and it also detailed a lot, like he took that like um hard. Cause I guess like him and Sebring was really close. Uh, it wasn't the first time like I heard some, you know, or of somebody um saying that they were meant to be there, like it, they were invited to come up. Um, because also
2: like Quincy Jones, has said, because he was also close to to Jay Sebring. Well, Yeah, Kansas Bergen too. Um, there's always that "what if" that's the, kind of like a myth thing, but it's true. Like he he seemed to be in so many different circles, which, which was highlighted in. Especially the book of What's Talking to Hollywood, where people had little groups and a lot of it was drug, sex, and all that. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, But yeah, I mean, from there, um, there there's another movement that's happening uh, where he kind of, Rick James kind of like sees, like, this is kind of what I want to do, or this is what I'm trying to do, like mix different um, sounds and uh, genres together. And it's, uh, you know, George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, Wootsie Collins. Kind of like even in the '90s, they were like crossover. Still, people like were into them, from different backgrounds. Um, but he liked the theatrics of it, um, you know, because like Great James, people compare him to. If you had to compare him to, like, like, like a Kiss or some of that, where it's like good music, great music, great lyrics, um, double entendres, like just like uh, subversive, uh, but also like a character. Like, and again, again, like we said, Great uh, James eventually became yeah. a character. He succumbed to it too, uh, for a two at four time and then eventually straightened up. But uh yeah, when it's when people adore you, um, uh, I mean, like my mom like, said in the seventies when she went to the clubs, if you if there's not one person that wasn't standing up during a Rick James song in the seventies too, uh they it was cool to see Ice Cube kind of like talk for a while about Mary Jane. Like he didn't understand, when he was a kid he didn't get the double entendre on it. Uh yeah. Mary Jane, of course, now it's so obvious that's about it. Yeah. I think it's cool to hear from
1: him because, like, on Friday, like, they play, like, the first time he gets high, like, that's the song that they chose to play on Friday when him and, like, Smokey, when Smokey
2: finally gets his, Ice Cube's character, Craig, the Smoke, they play Mary Jane. Yeah, it's, like, iconic. Um, I mean, the weird thing about it, though, like, he had his two big hits that everyone knows later on, all on the same album, 81. Mm-hmm. Um, And then it got re-popular again, of course, with uh, Samples. Uh, but those are two most well-known songs that are great. Uh, and there's this other, whole other catalog of music that uh, hopefully with the documentary, people will check it out. I'm sure it's on Spotify. So I'm going to check it out when we're done with this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, um, you know, from there, uh, in, the, in the 80s, we talked about like the,
0: I guess you want to say downfall, or like succumbing
2: to the demons and everything. Um, women was, I think, women was more of his downfall than drugs. I think this drugs were like a bright byproduct of it where he needed it. Like they said, cocaine was like the only way he could get like be normal, which you know that happens with people with like addiction and stuff. Like, and then you go one one too many, and then you end up in court in the court system for years. And what she eventually uh went to prison, Folsom
0: mm-hmm. hardcore
2: prison. We all know Folsom. Folsom was like California. Um, but. When he gets out, he seems rejuvenated. He said they, they he wrote like 400 songs. He was ready to go again. You know, like he felt motivated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that didn't last. Yeah. He did. He, he was there. I remember like seeing him on these shows. um But of course, uh the way they portrayed it was that managers and people stopped calling the book him because he wasn't Rick James.
0: Because um, like water, he's watered
2: down. Like to them. Which is a shame, um, you know, people like, they like, to see, um, they like to see you on stage, like you see you perform and everything, and you don't see the person, especially back then when there was no, like, social media, like, you don't really see, like, the human behind it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so, of course, this is where we, we, we see him get back into the system, um, and it just keeps unraveling. Uh, and this was on for, you know, a while. It just becomes like a butt of a butt of the jokes, um, like what could have been. Uh, but then we have we have a Dave Chappelle uh, episode. Uh, that's the kind of the first time I seen him again. And this was like twenty years ago. This is like two thousand two, right? Two thousand three. Yeah, two
0: thousand three. Yeah, so two thousand three, like, two thousand four.
2: And I would say it's still it's, it's like as relevant. The whole like I see that GIF of him fuck your couch like once a week at least, mm-hmm. you know. So he became kind of um, so comical, but also given respect because Denswil kind of like it wasn't just like a a, oh this like troublemaker, you know, like on people's court suing over a guitar and things like that. It was this is this man was a legend, so let's honor him. And we have Charlie Murphy, who was with Eddie Murphy when they did Party All the Time in in the early eighties.
1: Yeah, it was crazy because like if you really if if you play like party all the time for somebody who likes 80s music and i never heard it before and i didn't know it was like eddie murphy like it's also it's a, it's a catchy ass song like it's a good song
2: he could have he could
1: have did it he
0: could have it was just
1: why it's just one of those like things where it's just like all right but he's like a comedian so it's like you're not gonna take him seriously um or he like you know it's it's um He's trying to cross over into places he, um, he otherwise wouldn't be. Um, because it's also the same thing, like with when comedians play like serious roles. Like, he was like, yeah, like.
0: But it, it was like a really
1: good song. It looked like he helped them out through it. And, you know, like you said, he had a uh, friendship with Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy. Um,
0: uh, maybe, like, sometimes, like, watching
1: it, it's, like, um, watching the documentary, like, you want to say, like, oh, like, oh, it would have been cool if they would have got, like, Eddie Murphy in here, and, oh, like, what if they would have got, like, Neil Young, but they, I think they told the story in a way that you didn't really need um them, because it was really, really, really about, like, Rick James, and, like, if you brought those people in, if you brought those people in, like, it wouldn't, um,
2: It'll kind of be a bit distracting, like in a way. Also, um, talking about just his musical style, going back, he had girls' groups too. You know, he had uh, Mary Jane Girls, so he had the ability to like pass on the the music. Like, it wasn't just like he was selfish. Yeah, and they
1: they talked about him, and they talked about they talked about him with the Mary Jane Girls, and I guess. I didn't even think of it till we just started talking just now, but, you know, compiling out with the stuff they were talking about with Prince where it's like, they would write and produce with these female artists. And essentially it's just them like
0: writing, they're they're living out life. They're living out their musical life. Um,
1: Asexually, because they they because
0: they they they're living like the female, um,
1: their female musical fantasy through these women. So you saw it with him and Emerging Girls, and you saw it with him and Tina Marie. And I didn't think about it, but then you also saw it with Prince, where like he started producing, um, you know, Vanity and a Vanity Six, which then Apollonia and then now became the Apollonia six. Um he did a little bit with like Sheena Easton and then he tried to get other girls that he he was like messing with um
0: into music. So
1: maybe that's another place where he had like a lot of resentment for well,
2: Prince. I was gonna bring this up, but Prince's biggest hit with Vanity was Nasty Girl. You think about Nasty Girl from Beverly Hills cop. Yeah and it was kinda like a rip from all all night long. Hunter James always said he goes, oh, "I don't like this shit. I don't want to be nasty." Like he kept he, nasty was like his word, you know. Like
1: it was interesting too that um when he was, I I I didn't break down my name, but the one girl from the Mary Jane Girls who had started off in the um Stone Stone family band that he when he was creating the group and he was talking about like the idea that he had for them. He asked her, what do you want to do? And she was like, I want to do something. I want to do something they're going to play for, they're going to play 30 years later. And if you think about All Night Long, how many times it's been done, redone, it was redone by Mary J. Blige. So whenever, like, Mary J. Blige um,
0: does shows,
1: she she does it All Night Long, um, it's been sampled. It was sampled by Big Daddy King for Smooth Operator, sampled by LL Cool J for Around the Way Girl. Um, so it, it really does it, it lived it lived on for like ten years and then them songs that came out ten years later, they're living on for twenty years and thirty, forty years now we're still talking about it. Yeah, and
2: like a lot of the acts from back then. Uh you forget how like how early he started. He lived on through like James Brown lived on through hip hop, you know, the samples that's how a lot of people, you know, the music they heard was through the samples and they went back and like listened to it. And that's kind of like how, hopefully, um, hopefully the way Ray James is remembered is more for the music. And <laughs> also like his, his again, I, I'm I'm shocked. I mean, he didn't, he, I, I thought he could have the focus of maybe write a book or something like that, but thank God they have these audio file, all videotape of him. Cause it seemed like they recorded it yesterday, like it was like really good, even though it was like fifteen years ago, more than that almost twenty years ago mm-hmm. and so like basically, um uh, I was captivated not so much by like the sex on stage and all that shit, but it's like the way he spoke like he uh, it was like matter of fact um like he seemed he always had a clear direction of what he wanted to do. He just got a little sidetracked with uh, the off the stage shit, you know, which is always the case. we've seen it all the time mhm see it we still see it we see it with sports figures we see it with uh the the wrestlers and stuff and comedians um when you have that type of mind where like you go you become like a nomad and you travel um you find your voice you know a lot some people they escape it or they never even dabble some people get uh you know they get consumed by it and becomes them and they have untimely death and uh unfortunately that's what happened but you know with the art you created younger it lives on for the next generation
1: you know obviously
2: he got him and
1: tanya were caught up in both times uh basically charged with like kidnapping because you know i remember like the, when she first popped on the screen i was like is that the girl like he um the the wife that he had that they like Kidnapped some girl and like kept her for like a week or something like that. And you know, I, I didn't really know the whole story because every time you hear like, um, about Rick James, you hear about, yeah, like, you know, in like 1990 something, like, he, him and his wife, like, had this girl, like, tied up and were like burning her with like a crack pipe and torturing her. And then, like, the story here is like, um, they describe it as like, you know, everybody was doing drugs, and then they were all partying, and they suspected that this girl was, like, stealing drugs from them, so they, like, tied her up, and then um they wanted... What they said was that he was, like, they were taking turns, like, burning her with the crack pipe. Um, and then another incident is where, like, they went to a hotel and had this girl, and the girl said, like, they basically, like, beat her up,
0: but then when... Um, Tanya describes it here, his ex wife. It was like, Oh, um,
1: like her and the girl got into a fight and Rick was just sitting out watching them fight and at some point like the girl kicked her kicked Tanya and that's when he lost it and then he put hands on that girl, so that's when it became not and I think that was the one where he actually went to jail for. Her. Um but when you talk about, it, like, you know, it's like, he never, like, forced anybody to do no kind of, like, he never forced himself on anybody. And it had, like, audio of him. It was like, if anything, like, I used to have to force women not to have sex with me. So it's it's weird. It's, a, um, it's one of the things you kind of got to, you weren't there, so you kind of got to come to your own conclusions. But I guess maybe, and I seen recording, he was detailing how, like, when he was a kid, like, his mom's friend. Would watch him, um, babysit him, and at some point, like she tried to have sex with him, and the mom, his mom, who is very, very like close to, like caught, um, the woman trying to have sex with
2: him. So clearly, he he was kind of a victim of like sexual abuse. And he, and he's the baby, so like of course the mom, the baby, like he's the youngest of eight, I think, right? So like he was, you know. Well, that it, it didn't. He goes, we didn't go to no, we didn't go to court or anything. There was no department or bureau. I just told my mom, beat the shit out of her. Yeah, yeah. it was like that's all he handled it. Yeah. And then one of the
1: teachers, I guess or something, told him,
2: "You're either gonna be an entertainer
1: or you're gonna be a hoodlum." Or I think he, she told the teacher he's gonna be an entertainer, and she told him, "You're gonna be nothing but a hoodlum." And it's interesting because he was both because. In between bands because they talked about him like um, either Quitting or getting kicked out of bands like over and over between like the sixties and seventies. So in between him getting kicked out, he would fly back to Buffalo and
0: sell drugs. Mm-hmm. So he, he really was like an entertainer and all of them.
2: Yeah, like he presented the real it wasn't BS. Like he represented like what he saw like in, in the in the records.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it also said that he was um the stone the the that stone city band like they were influenced by punk music um over in england so it was you know he he, he kind of showed how poor black kids in buffalo could relate with poor white kids in england so i thought that was interesting because that kind of translated um the david bowie and kiss like the showmanship and then with parliament you know, Brucey like he he him him and George Clinton would get into it because he would tell George how he um sold more records than him. Um, but it's kind of like a friendly um rivalry, but he crossed over a way they couldn't because Parliament was like mainly more popular with black people, whereas like Rick James became popular with everybody. And then street songs, of course, most popular album has has um. You know, Give It To Me Baby, Um, which was, like, his biggest hit. And, like, I don't know if you remember, but that's where I kind of got introduced to Rick James because I remember they had, like, a Burger King or a McDonald's commercial mm-hmm. and they used Give It To Me Baby. And, you know, I was like, I like this song. I, and then you hear it on the radio on, like, you know, one of the R&B stations, like, one of the old-school R&B um sad sound you know i like this song uh so that's kind of how i got introduced to rick james another reason i got introduced to him was um ghetto life which is also off the album um and i used to talk about it too where he was kind of one of the first before rap where he was one of the first people to talk about like um police brutality and growing up in a ghetto and stuff like that and it influenced him but that song
0: was on Grand Theft Auto Vice City.
1: So when I used to play Grand Theft Auto Vice City, like, it would would pop up, and I just found, like, a Grand Theft Auto, like, um, playlist, so they have, like, all the different stations from Vice City, so I was listening to it um, the other day. And then the USC professor, um, Todd, I forgot his name, and I, I, I don't know how I forget his name, because he's, like, in virtually every single documentary, like, I've 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 been watching, so I, I just know him as Todd um something, so Professor Todd from USC. Uh, he was talking about how like he hated Super Free because it was such a like crossover hit. That would be that like, one black song, that like, when you go to a white party, they would play one black song. that white people would go crazy crazy over it, and I could relate to that a lot because I remember like there was a shit ton of like Little Wayne songs that were popular when I was in college, and I'm like. The song was like okay and like all these white kids make it seem like it's like the best song they ever heard in their whole life. So I I totally understood where he was coming from and then they had like I don't know views like the the um the the person that made this documentary, but he the guy that was listening to the music and bringing on the music,
2: the white guy. Remember? Um, no. The guy with the white hair. I don't know who he was like in a studio. Yeah and I- he was, like... He mentioned things, like, um... I think he was the one who said something about, like, Benji Records or something like, like he said that's what they called it. Or I, he was giving, us a filling in the hole, so the details...
0: Yeah, and he was saying how, like, the one...
1: It had, like, the one, like, um... The, the one thread in, like, Super Freak that you would find... It, it, you know, Super Freak is, like, a funk, like, R&B, so... Like, a R and b um... Funk song. But it had this little... Thread of music where it's like it's found in like um uh what's about Devo right the the one that did oh, whip it uh, yeah. like oh, in yeah, whip, or,
0: oh, yeah like
1: dumb and like flock of seagulls you would find it in those type of music oh, like wow. new wave yeah and like new wave music and he was oh, like he dumb. yeah and him just including that part in the beat. Like it was like a dog whistle to white people, and that's why I think white people love that song. And then I didn't even know about the stuff with him and like MTV because uh, all our stuff, was, yeah, all our stuff was about like, like he was the one that was was pushing for it. And then, um, of course, you know, David Bowie was the one that went on MTV and was like, Why the fuck are you not playing black people music? Like, they have some of the most, they sell more, some of these records sell more than me,
2: and you're not playing them, so and giving them yeah, attention. Well how come you're not play any more black music? And it's the best radio station here, you know, they play the best music. And he said, Well, you know, we gotta make sure like people in New York also but Gibsty also in Midwest and he's like, Okay, great. Like he was just like I'm glad that Boy said that to him. Yeah, yeah, I, but I
1: didn't know like Rick James was like the first one. And then they were they were saying, you know, how like Michael Jackson was like edgy, but he was he was there kinda edgy, so you know, all this, um it basically kind of, like, rewrote history for me because it was just like, oh, like, Michael Jackson broke through, and it was just like, Michael Jackson was, like, alright, we'll let this guy in, and then maybe we'll let some other people in.
2: But Rick James was, like, the four runner for that. Well, maybe you could argue with Rick James, like, he knocked down the door and then the next yeah.
0: person was the kid that they grew up with when he was a little kid. So he was safe, you know? Like, he was
2: Jackson 5, which is Understandable, you know, which <laughs> was uh, the next one, and he was he was uh, androgynous, you know, safe,
1: yeah. So, you know, we, we've said that before that like, you know, there's always somebody that breaks down the door, and then um, they let the person behind them in, um, and then um uh, his downfall at Motown, where really it was like he, he had this um blow up in like the Motown president's office, and like. That was a real, like, fucking couch, because he hopped up on a desk and, like, put his, like, basically had his crush on his guy's face, like, sell my record, sell it, uh, and just went on this, like, quote, feud, like, tirade in this office, and then, like, as soon as he left, like, was, like, the 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 person was like, all right, I'm gonna do, like, I'm gonna start pushing Lionel Richie's record, record now, and I and it was like, that's why Alan Richie got that big ass push, you know, um, post-Commodores with like, hello, and dancing on Salem and all that shit. Um, so that explained that. And then, um, interesting thing I didn't know was like, he hated rap. And when he first heard um, Can't Touch This with Sample, um, Super Freak, uh, he, he didn't want to rap in his, his uh, music but then he got the check, like, the royalty check, and it was just, like, he made more money from MC Hammer using his music, um, using Super Freak than he actually got from Super Freak, so I I always thought that was interesting. And it was also highlighted, and you still see that shit today, where it's just, like, the older, like, the older generation always hates the new generation, and, and, um, you saw it with him and, and Prince, and you see it today, like, you know, New artists always kind of catching strays from from the older guys. Sometimes substantiated, sometimes unsubstantiated. So that was an interesting. Um, that was that, that was an interesting take. Um, and then his mom dying, like he was so like drugged up that his brothers had to to basically like threaten him in order for him to come to his mom's funeral which is crazy because his mother, like, he was really, really close with his mom. And his mom was really basically just holding on to, to see him one more time before she passed away. And then when he shows up to the funeral, he's drugged out. And I always thought about it, I was just like, you know, the, the I feel like the 90s was kind of like his hangover from all the partying in the 70s and the 80s. Because it seemed like that. Because this whole the whole story of the 90s was him um you know getting into trouble and and you know going um cleaning up and then getting back on the drugs and relapsing and the two thousands, you know, uh as it seemed from the documentary and as you said, it was kinda of like a polarizing thing, his um Chappelle skit.
0: You know, you yeah, had one band
1: member who was like, "Oh, it was like a caricature." They were like making fun of him and mocking him. And then you got another band member who was like, "Yeah, that's I that, that was Rick. That's what he. That's his That's what his personality was like. That's what he did stuff like that. He'd come in and talk shit to you, and and um, you know, he'd be he'd say he's your friend, but then do all this like messed up stuff to you, and then basically be your friend again the next day, just like Charlie Murphy." um said and it was funny like donald rollins being on there. he was discussing how like kids was getting kicked out of school which was kind of interesting to me because i wasn't really like my experience because like i was the only person in my class that watched um Chappelle show and my teacher who's like a black dude or uh, like a young black dude in his 20s he also watched Chappelle Show, so we used to kinda we used to always like do our like update every week and talk about Chappelle Show. So the Rick James, uh, Rick James bitch, like that show was popular with us and I just remember like the bathroom pass that we had for class. It was like bathroom pass and then he wrote in like small letters. Enjoy yourself. And I was from <laughs> and that was uh, that was from Chappelle show. Um, but it was crazy. And then, um, you know, Tina Marie, after he passed away, like Tina Marie had passed away not too long afterwards. Um, he passed away in 2004. She passed away in 2010. And she kind of started like a, a, a painkiller addiction because, you know, uh, she she really took it hard. So it was interesting, like, his effect that
2: he had on, on people. Yeah, but, uh, what I could say about Ray James is, Truly original, uh, but at the same time attracting different type of vibes, not just like one particular genre. So, like that's that's for me. Those are the type of individual artists that I always uh am attracted to. Like Bowie did the same thing. He, he had funk albums and stuff. Prince did the same thing. Cause um, so I think that you know, like you said, um, how you first were introduced to him. Mine was through MC Hammer in the early '90s. And then the next time I saw him was on Behind the Music, and all it was was just they didn't highlight any of the earlier stuff. I don't remember like '97. They didn't bring up how great the music was and stuff. It was just all about like the trash stuff, which is unfortunate because I think this is the documentary version where people need to see. And He was like because the first like half of it is just showing how you know he got out. Uh, he did what he had to do, and he he was uncompromising. He like he said, that he, he was either going to be a retainer or a hoodlum, and by the end, he became both. I guess if you want to use those words, um, I think it's a true original. I think Ray James is a uh, someone who hopefully will get more shine uh, on them because uh, I don't think it's happened, I don't think it's happened since it's in the last like 15 years,
0: mm-hmm, yeah. Unfortunately,
2: and his music is everywhere, man. Like, I, like, I
1: listen to cool blooded, um. Right before I started this, And I didn't even know that like
0: Cold Blooded
2: was about Linda Blair. Was, yeah, I, I, again, he was with everyone. Like he said, he could have been at that. Yeah, I'm mean, I
0: Like the
1: first, the first shot of like the the thing was like his daughter, and she's like, um, uh, like, they're going through pictures, and it was like, is that like Catherine Bach, like Daisy um, from Dukes of Hazard? It's like, yeah. yeah, she's like, yeah, you know, well, you know, my dad had share terrible
2: woman.
0: Yeah, um, but you know, if you if if
2: you have showtime,
1: check it out or if, you, if 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 it's available somewhere else. We we saw it on off of um Showtime. It, it's about two hours and I, I I guarantee you you won't regret it. It's very interesting. They don't even really have any like uh boring or, you know, uninteresting parts and it really goes through his whole entire life and you just be shocked and amazed of the musical life that this man lived, and um, you know he he had the good side and the bad side of that, you know, rock star
0: lifestyle. And so check check that out. Um, uh, what's the name of?
2: Oh, uh, Bitchin' The Sound and Fury of Rick James.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Awards of the week. Award of the
1: week. Cause. I think that's where I messed up last week. Like, yeah. cause like the the shirt sure has been like an honorable mention. So award
0: of the week time, and this week award, this week's award goes to AOC,
1: otherwise known as Ala- Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, who is the representative of my district,
0: right? Um, representative of Congress. She's oh, representative, uh, right? Council person? city yeah. council,
2: our right, neighborhood—I forget.
0: But she's in Congress. Re- she
2: represents you. She represents my brother.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, House of Representatives. Um,
1: and as well as some other dude for their outfits at the Met Gala, and I know this is weird coming from a dude. I was doing a podcast. From his bedroom, and is just wearing a um Chappelle show T-shirt. Shout out B.K. Madison's. Um, but it was interesting because she was wearing this dress, where it was like a white dress, and it said "Tax the Rich, Tax the Rich" on it. And then there was another gentleman wearing like um like basically a shirt. And jeans and a jean jacket, and the shirt and the, the inside of the jean jacket said, Make the rich pay. And uh, you know what? Like, I know a lot of people were pissed off that she was there because the Met Gala is um, a $30,000 a person event. Uh it's basically like a prom for like rich people because, you know, we see the red carpet, we don't see shit when they go inside, they just show the outfits and stuff like that, and, you know, my issue is, it's like, I don't have an issue with her going, but she's wearing a dress that says tax the rich, and I'm just like, at this point, like, you're like a parody of yourself, it seemed like some shit where I was like, this is like a, a a a Zucker movie, you know, like Airplane or Nick Gun, cause it just seemed like something out of like you know this Congresswoman that's all about like taxing the wealthy and everybody paying their uh, paying their fair share. And she shows up to like you know hobnob um, with like these rich people that she intends to like tax. And I'm just like, if you do just showed up in a normal dress, like. You know, the right, they could, you know, shit on you. And because that's what they're going to do, like, regardless. But now everybody's looking at you like, you look like silly. It's like,
0: if I'm sorry, because I'm going to go off on like an analogy rant, but it's as if, like, the, like, somebody shows
1: up to like a a police fundraiser with like a defend the police, uh, I mean, defund the police sure you know it seems so out of character and then she kind of defended herself because people thought like she paid the $30,000 or like taxpayers paid the $30,000 but then she glossed over and said like representatives um usually get invited to these events so what I assume is that they invite them and they get some kind of like tax break for like the $30,000 so essentially she's She's saying she taxed the rich, the rich, and she basically gave him, like, a tax break. Um, I, uh, Like, another thing is, like, it's like, you know, and, and her saying that, it's like, you know, if, like, a Mets fan got tickets to a Yankees World Series game, uh, it's like, well, you know, it's a, it's a World Series, I have to go. But it's like, but I'm gonna wear my mess gear because I'm gonna show that like I don't care about the Yankees. I hate the Yankees. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you're, you're still going. You're, if you got like tickets behind
2: home plate at the World Series, and you're a mess fan, hmm. that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Shahab Nabh with is a very aristocratic. It seems kind of like like let that eat cake, that type of thing. Very like, yeah, over the top. Not rich, like straight up wealth. You know, like this is this is like, you know. This is like the, all the world is focused on this, and this is what you do. Like this is
1: uh, it's you just, a, it's just like a parody. It's like,
2: uh, and it's, it was on like her back, so
1: it's like she probably walked up and she was like, "Oh, like uh, AOC wearing like this nice dress. Who's it by? Oh, it's by so and so." Da 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 da, and turn around and show the Rich. And then the other part is she posted on her Instagram. She was like, I'm helping a black immigrant break down doors, blah, 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 blah," right? And then you come to find out, like, the designer, that's this immigrant. She immigrated from the third world nation of Canada,
0: from the city of, the the war-torn city of Toronto. There you go. Not only that, but. That girl
1: is like, that, that woman, the designer, is married to like some guy who's like the son of some kind of big old like corporation, like some big old CEO. So that guy is worth like 100 million. So she's worth like 50 million. He's like a whole like, like, like hollabaloo of, of just like, like bullshit. And you know, every time I see her, I kind of like, I'm sorry I
2: voted for her. It's like a bubble. Like, it, it, you know i watch it from the outside, but it's, like, maybe they mean well, but it's it like seems like a bubble, like, you know.
0: Yeah. That's like, a dome. For all I know, they eating, like, fucking, like, endangered animals, like, sautéed with stir-fry and shit in there. I don't know. I don't know what they do when they go into the Magala.
1: I don't even know what the Magala's for. Um, and anyway, like, maybe, maybe one of the, these days, Mike, you could, um, you should wear like a hat that has um, like a uh, like a wedding veil on it, just to... <laughs> yeah, one of
2: these. So, so
1: like Elton John glasses, just to like change it up a little bit,
2: and, and a Razor scooter. Maybe they have um uh, they have like Vigo's painting, Viggo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters Two in there, and they're like paying homage to him, and they're just trying to like bring up the slime or something.
0: See Tyler Richard, I remember somebody was like uh like um which call it? Tyler, I
1: am was like, <laughs> "What happens at the Met Gala?" And somebody responded, "Well, I do know at some point they meet Gala." <laughs> yeah. There
2: you
1: go. Uh, but this week we have honorable mention for um, award of the week. I'm looking at the Jarreau man because him and Fat Joe, who I'm a big fan of BX. Um, and somebody who I was a fan of, like Jarreau. I remember when they announced it, a lot of people were, like, making fun of it. Because, obviously, it's following up the locks and dipset verses from, like, a couple of weeks ago. But I seen, like, Ja Rule on it. And I know people was going to joke because, obviously, Jaru has not done himself any favor. Has not done himself any favor Um, with his public persona over the last couple of years with, like, you know, the um, Fire Festival, and all kinds of different other stuff, and people bringing up, like, the Chappelle, um, what the fuck do I care with ja things at a time like this from, like, way back when, but people forgot, like, he, he really had, like, some hits, and there was a point, like, between, like, 1998 and, like, 2004 that you, um...
0: You couldn't turn on the
1: radio and not hear Ja because he had a song with somebody. And, you know, it was a cool um, event because he brought out um, v- Vida from Murdering, who I haven't seen in years. Lil Mo, who I was wondering. Uh, we used to be on everything, too. Every, uh, I've had her own, like, songs and 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 did a lot of features. And then brought out Ashanti, who was, like, like, gorgeous every time you see him, see her, and um, Fajal brought out Nelly, which I thought was kind of, like, controversial, because him and Ashanti used to date for, like, a long time in, like, the mid to late 2000s, Um, but, like, Nelly had kind of, like, a, a rise, he must have had a cold or something, because I actually seen, he was at the, the fair up in New York performing, and he didn't sound like how he sounded, so I think he had, like, some kind of cold, um, or something, something going on with his voice there, but it was a really cool event, and I love Versus, uh, I kind of wait to see what the next one is, but I was glad that people would be like, oh yeah, Ja did this, like, you know, sometimes we we'll would play some songs, and you're like, what the hell is this shit, but all the Ja songs, like, oh yeah, I remember Ja now, like, 50 then, 50 then, like, completely obliterate him, so, I would doubt like, awards
2: of the week. Mike, final thoughts this week final thoughts uh first let me just say about Norm Macdonald, uh and i always hype up the influence on me It just like my humor or whatever or uh my, my style of delivery like awkward i guess but another thing that he's known for that i always admired was that he never got his license he never drove letterman's <laughs> like why how come he's like you ever driven a car like you're in this big metal thing, and you're going like 70 miles per hour, and then out of nowhere, like two feet from you, there's another person going 70 miles per hour, and you don't know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and, then, uh,
2: and when you see an accident, you're like, people you just go, oh, I guess I'll be late for work. not that there's <laughs> metal shards and twisted metal here. Imagine if that was a plane, and out of nowhere, a, you're, you're in a commercial jet, and then some other commercial jet comes flying by you, honking at you. And um, So I always, I always laugh at that.
0: He had other stories,
2: too, like the one story where he, he made a check, and then he, like, gambled it, and, like, he lost it, and then we got it back again, and just that that, that whole idea, like, talk about extreme, you know, so a lot of these creative people, they need that more, they need that more, uh, but I think by the end, uh, he, you saw the outpouring from all different types of people in admiration and saying like all, oh, he's the funniest people, I always have the memory of laughing. Biggest last I ever had. And that's probably the main thing. And another big thing that, uh, that he's a part of is uh, kind of like a ritual. My brother and like, my dad at one point was we'd watch like late night talk show at night and like Letterman. And I, wa- I remember watching Letterman's uh, final episode when Norm MacDonald did, it, did a, a set. And he broke down. Like this, tar- this guy who always seems to be like in- doing a bit or in character, like not caring about anything. He opened up and he started crying. He said, "Oh, David Letterman, I love you, man." And Letterman's like a guy who wouldn't want. It. He's like, "Oh, don't worry about that, Normie." But he showed his like real self in the most vulnerable place, like the last episode of David Letterman, the guy who gave him his first shot. Um, but yeah, that that just showed that you could uh, you could do your bits and everything, but you can also show uh, sincerity and you know that's what I think we always saw that in him. But that was like a real highlight of mine uh, with Rick James. Uh, same thing, I'm glad that uh, it's not a hit piece, because I know a lot of documentaries coming out now, it's
0: kind of like, let's
2: shock, let's whatever. This basically is a um, this is like, hey, who's Rick James? And you can put this on, and you'll besides listen to the music, you can just watch this, and you get a good uh, portrait of the man and the the identity of Rick James, and I thought they did it well again. Check it out, it came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, with sports, uh, we don't have to talk about it. Um, we'll, well, I'm sure next week we won't have many giants, but maybe we'll we'll see a little progress in the Yankees. Um, again, we talked about dark side of the ring. Uh, all I know is that I'm enjoying the product now. Uh, I know that stuff behind the scenes with uh, is always something that I was gravitating towards, but now I'm just sitting back and relaxing, enjoying the product. Me and Chug are going to be out there for the next AEW show. And a lot of people are saying, oh, is Rick Clark going to come out now oh, with this? I don't care. I just want to see the show, enjoy, kick back, relax, my buddy, and watch it. Like, we had a great time at All Out. It's not going to stop because uh, I, I have a feeling with WWE and AEW, uh, WWE is not going to back down. They revamped their NXT, which we didn't mention. But they also are going to be in the same arena a week apart. Just kind of like they announced the announced it at the same time, so late November and then the first week of december uh AWB and the AEW are going to be in Long Island, which is like you know the backyard of the WWE. it's kind of like all right let's 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 compete now, let's do something, mm-hmm. and you know as a fan, it's fun to watch you know uh but yeah,
1: sure hey, yeah um games like i said it, it it was interesting that they didn't bring like celebrities to come on and talk to him, talk about him. But, you know, when I'm thinking about it, after watching it, I'm like, they had the people I probably knew him best. His daughter, his ex-wife, his manager, his bandmates. Um, So it was like the people I spent the most time with him. And it wasn't just the people I, like, you know, wanted stuff from him or people I, like, he... Like didn't like and didn't like him, so it was really cool to to learn and 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 see, um, how Rick James became Rick James, how Rick James, uh, you know the, the the significance of Rick James changed over time from like musical entertainer to this dude that's um in and out of jail and doing like this this out there shit to you know before he he dies basically his whole public persona gets resurrected by this sketch comedy show. And it's funny because um as influential as like Show was like the second season it was probably like the better the, the better of the two. And it was actually like the last um full season um of Chapel show. So it had all of those things. Prince, Rick James, um all the different sketches we, we remember Um not to, to, to down play like the first season just significant uh, the stuff that they did in the, the second season and again a big part of that was bringing Rick James who also was on the episode to kind of like give his legs out of the story and that, that part in of itself was hilarious um, Norm Macdonald like wow man like you know it's hard to see these guys um pass on but it's it's i always say like it's always refreshing to see the outpouring of love that comes when people pass away
0: um yeah that was a lot (laughs) of it but that was very very gormac McDonald's. yeah that was a
1: lot for this week (laughs) um Mm -hmm. I don't want to repeat. I don't to repeat all the shit that I talked about. Like I got like two full pages of those. So listen to the first like hour and a half of this if you want to hear, hear my final thoughts. It's basically the same thing. But yo, um, listen. We're on Instagram, Twitter. uh if you're not following us, please follow @shogunamoney. Um, if you for whatever reason, listen to the show and haven't looked at our YouTube channel. Like, please check us out. We have stuff on there that we haven't, Um, we don't record while we're doing the show. Um, There's also stuff, segments, that we also, you know, spruce up and make them visually, visually appealing. So if you're on your way to the work, um, hopefully you're not driving, <laughs> um, but if you know, yeah, if, if you're, like, you know, just killing time, we got, like, a, a shit ton of videos that are just great, um, we just posted, um, the Richard Donner that we did, like, a couple of weeks ago, and then just now, like, we posted the Michael K. Williams, um, you know, I was talking about Michael K. Williams last week, and I've seen, like, a lot of people on instagram um really appreciated that um and i really had like a lot of um it 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 was a pleasure in um putting that together and you know we got more and more stuff coming out uh you can watch the awards of the week if you want to see the visual award and and just see the stuff that i'm talking about when we talk about the awards but this has been episode 68 of show me the money show me the money show me the money